Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. I'm Kayla Fritz. I'm Zach Edwards. And I'm Dave Rome. Uh, we have a pretty good show, I think, for you today. We are going to talk about some uh, some recent tech news, talk about some things that have been introduced. We're going to talk about Shimano possibly buying up other companies and doing things with their intellectual property. Ooh la la. We are going to talk about sponsorship. So it's not exactly gear, but it's sort of talking about getting gear. Can we talk about our snack sponsor? We can absolutely talk about our snack sponsor. Which is actually just Dave Rom this time? It, it is, because we are snacking on, well, in Boulder anyway, we are snacking on a package of chewy caramel Tim Tams that Dave hand-delivered to us. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They yeah, are pretty good. Anyway, yeah. So we'll, and then we'll finish the show today with uh, our Ask a Mechanic segment, and then Bike Selector, and the one today is going to be a little more heated, I think. Highly contentious. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lots of hot takes. Yep. Let's, so many hot takes. Let's uh, let's start with tech news, uh, Dave. I think I'll get a throw to you on this one since mm-hmm. uh, you wrote this article. Felt recently introduced a new AR Aero road bike. What can you tell us about that thing? Yeah, so I saw it at Tour Down Under with uh, the Rally Cycling uh, Rally Cycling Women's team using it, uh, and at the time they weren't willing to talk about it, but it was there clear as day. And then just a few weeks after that, they. Um, unveiled it officially and yeah basically it's it's felt's new aero disc brake road bike um complete overhaul on the air uh, ar platform um and first overhaul i think in four or maybe even five years so how is this new ar different from the one that has been out for a while so yeah i mean the the previous version was using a lot of airfoil based shapes across it uh and this new one's gone to the the modern way which is to truncate those uh aero shapes so in turn, they can build uh, extra stiffness into the frame. They can tune the ride quality. Uh, in this case, they're claiming that it is faster, but more importantly, it's it's just a better bike uh, when it comes to you know the way it handles crosswinds and the how stiff it is under pedaling. Uh, however, what they don't talk about is weight, and this thing doesn't seem particularly lightweight at the moment. It's usually not a good sign. No, they just don't give you a weight. <laughs> yeah, and like, and yeah. I yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and don't I about that. I inquired about, it and they're like, they're like, well, we're waiting on the production version, so we'd rather not say at the moment. Uh, so mm. it doesn't bode well at this point in time. At least for that aspect of things. I mean, otherwise, the bike seems like it'll be pretty okay. Maybe aside from that stem, which is. Um, not particularly appealing visually. Isn't yeah. this the first bike since the purchase? Yeah, I think it's this their first bike. like proper overhaul uh, overhaul platform since they uh, became part of the Rosignol group. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there are some really cool aspects of this bike. One thing I really love is the fact that they haven't... They've got an integrated stem, which hides the cables away, but they haven't forced you to use it. So they've made the bike uh, ready and compatible with basically any stem, and they've provided um, the option of external cable routing as well, if you wanted to go that way. External cable routing? Yeah. Yeah, old seen, school. In an aero bike? I've seen some of the rally rally team guys, their training bikes are all external. Hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, and it uses a normal handlebar. And I, I mean, I think that if you're buying an aero bike, you should probably spend the time and energy to run your cables internally. But as a training bike? Yeah. Or if you're not racing? So, yeah, we don't have one of those bikes in yet, but I think we are going to be getting one in in the near future. And then... I guess at that point, all we need is for winter to go away here in Colorado because it is very, very much winter at the moment. Yeah. I had the mad pow disease all week. 
How, really how's, rough. That, how's that going? <laughs> I don't know. I, I listened to the Cycling Tips podcast earlier this week and heard some ludicrous story about me getting in a hot air balloon and floating away. I was just skiing. What do you, what do you, mean, <laughs> what do you mean ludicrous? I mean, it was you, quite good. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did like how um, after the podcast recording was done. Um, Neil did look at me. and was like, "Wait, was that real?" Yeah. Just to be clear, I was. I spent no time in a hot air balloon this this week. However, I did spend a lot of time with my mad pow disease. Actually, Zach did as well. Zach and yeah, I skied together on Monday, and it was insane. There was like forty inches of snow in three days, and it was, yeah, it was very mad pow disease. <laughs> In, uh, in other tech news, uh, Shimano recently announced, or actually Pioneer, I should say, announced that they had been purchased, uh, their cycling division anyway, had been purchased by, of all companies, Shimano, um, which I guess in hindsight maybe isn't super surprising since, uh, since Pioneer based all of their power meters on Shimano cranksets that they bought. Um, but neither company has really settled a whole lot about where this is going to go. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens here. Yeah, and... and- the, one of the interesting things for me is that Shimano hasn't historically done a lot of sort of mergers and acquisitions stuff. They've started other brands, but they haven't really picked up intellectual property from others or brands from others, as opposed to like SRAM, for example, which basically SRAM built itself off of acquisitions, bought RockShox, bought Avid, bought, you know, that that's how it became the company that it is today. So yeah, I, I'm just, uh, I find that somewhat intriguing they, they kind of have for the most part, but I mean, they did buy Pro. True. Uh, they d- did buy Pro Zumi. And Laser. Um, and Laser. And Laser. And, and, and bikefitting.com. Bikefitting, yep. Yep. So, mm. you know, I mean, so they haven't bought as many companies as SRAM, but it may also just be Shimano maybe deciding that, you know, maybe they kind of need to do some consolidating and figure things out. Um, but even if it, I mean, there are a lot of questions about how much sense this makes from a business standpoint, but I'm really curious to see what they do with the info that they pick up from Pioneer as far as what they do with their own power meter. I have never used a Pioneer power meter. Are they any good? Yeah, I've tested. The uh, um, The first generation was a mess to install. Like You had to install magnets all over the bike, and it was crazy. The second generation was a lot cleaner. Uh, I mean, it still requires a magnet on the bike. To be honest, the when Shimano released their power meter, it was very Pioneer-esque. And I would be totally. surprised uh, if Shimano and Pioneer didn't work together on it. Um, I'd heard rumors that they had worked together and that they collaborated and that Pioneer had helped. Um, right, because they were very, very similar. Yeah. Um, so I would be... Yeah, I mean, this, this uh, acquisition kind of seems to me like maybe... Shimano's taking on maybe some patents or uh, taking on some uh, some licensing that they were previously paying Pioneer for. Um, I could be way off on that, but it, it feels to me a bit like that. I feel like Pioneer were not the greatest. Like maybe once you got them all set up, they worked fine. But having worked on quite a few and my girlfriend rode them for a while, mm-hmm. they seemed very rudimentary mm. to like set up and install. And then the procedure where you paired the right side to the left side and then their computer also is like... I don't even know how I would describe it. Just like a really old bomb pilot, like like similar to how how well Shimano's flight deck worked. <laughs> well, that's, that, that is fighting words. That's funny that you mentioned that though, because well, for first a couple things, I I always found it weird that Pioneer of all companies came out with a with a parameter in general. Like yeah, it, right. it, weird it, thing. It, yeah. it screamed of someone at Pioneer 
being just into bikes and wanting a power meter and yeah. mm-hmm. being able to call the shots at the company to say, hey, we're going to make a power meter. And people saying, what? Yeah. Like, um, we know electronics. We'll sure. make this no problem. We'll make it work. Or not. Or eh, Ish. who knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, speaking of uh, Flight Deck, what is perhaps the more interesting part of this situation is that part of the purchase includes Pioneer's uh, computer head units. And, you know, Shimano hasn't made a computer head since Flight Deck, and those didn't really go great, No, I would say. <laughs> no. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the latest Pioneer computer seems like it's better, but, I mean, Shimano doesn't seem like it's going to just buy up all the stuff and then just kill it. You know, it doesn't seem like, you know, hey, we're, it doesn't seem likely that they're, they're going to buy this computer head from Pioneer and then just decide to not do anything with it. Yeah. If you hear a banging in the background, it's because the next-door neighbor is making man bracelets? Correct. Okay. <laughs> some, some sort of, I can indeed hear some, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure it'll get picked up on the podcast mics. Dave can definitely hear it. We can certainly hear it. Yeah. I can feel it. Actually. Yeah. It's like one day a month. Banging on something over there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry to derail us again. So, I mean, this, this purchase of, of Pioneer by Shimano, I mean, it could mean Shimano getting back into the computer head business. And, you know, at that point, you know, hopefully they would do a better job of it this time. But, I, I mean, it also doesn't really seem like it would make a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah, it seems like Garmin and Wahoo have a pretty solid hold on the market. I mean, but we all thought that Garmin had a pretty solid hold, and then Wahoo showed up. So, you know. Well, yeah. true. But, I mean, to be fair, I mean, Garmin still has the lion's share of the market. And yeah. Wahoo has been working at it for a pretty long time now. True. Um, but you also have companies, you know, like like Brighton and um, uh, why can't I think of any other names right now? Lazine. Uh, there's Lazine. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. Stages. Lazine, Sigma Stages. Yep. I mean, you have all these other companies that have seemingly a decent amount of development muscle behind them trying to kind of, you know, get their elbows in on the on the computer head business and to, you know, kind of limited success. I mean, I don't know if Shimano will do any better. I mean, they certainly have the resources for it, but it's got to work. Well, yeah. and as things just integrate further and further and further, then they have one more thing that they can yeah. just And and speaking speaking of integration, I actually I have a suspicion that this uh this acquisition has something to do with e-bikes. Uh uh, I'm not really sure how they're going to use the tech uh, immediately, but um, a lot of what they're doing and a lot of what they're investing in is related to the investment in e-bikes. And there has to be something in this tech that's going to, whether it helps them create a, a more natural pedaling system or lets them integrate the power technology into the the East, um, the Shimano Step system, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that reach the e-bikes in the, in the, in the near future. It wasn't one of the things about the Pioneer that it gave you that sort of spin scan thing, and it was yeah. super high yep. sample rate. Like yep. maybe that yeah. is part of the yeah. exactly part of the tech that they need. Yeah. But I guess what could be cool is if they took that technology. I mean, it wouldn't have to be, you know, quite as accurate on an e-bike. But if they took that idea and you know that that idea of kind of that level of force resolution in your pedal stroke, and and then applied that to an e-bike, I mean, it seems like that could work. Isn't well. the Shimano system already? It's pretty good. Known to be one of the best. I mean, I mean, I'm yeah. not an e-bike expert by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what my neighbor Ryan tells me and yeah. he sells them. It's so. one of the favorite <laughs> systems. <Yeah. laughs> Definitely one of the better ones for sure. So anyway, I mean, we have no idea where this is going to go. The uh, The full handover is going to occur uh, basically next month in March. And then at that point, we'll sort of just have to wait and see where it goes because no one has really said anything. Mm. Uh, but speaking of power meters, I mean, power meters are one of those things that – 
I'd say it's one of the first purchases that a lot of aspiring racers will will, will make. Uh, you know, just trying to get fitter, faster, and that sort of thing. And it also seems like one of those things where, you know, as these people get a little bit faster and get a little bit more success, they start to feel a little bit more like they deserve something. Hmm. Like maybe they should be sponsored by somebody. <laughs> I should be sponsored. I should be sponsored by Tim Tams. <laughs> <laughs> we are sponsored by Tim Tams. No, wait, we're sponsored by Dave Rum. Thank you, Dave Rum, for sponsoring this week's episode. Oh, you're mm-hmm. very welcome. Um, but <laughs> speaking, speaking of sponsorship, um, years and years ago, I, it might have been like seven or eight years ago now, I actually wrote a column when I was working for Bike Radar. Uh, I, I had, I think I had a, I can't remember, I think I had to write a column like every three weeks or something like that. And I remember that morning feeling particularly under the gun because I had absolutely no idea what I was going to write about. Classic column move. Classic, classic. And then somehow I got on the topic of sponsorship and I just kind of spattered off this thing about how, I mean, I used to work in bike shops for a long time and kind of used to dealing with a lot of, you know, sort of am- amateur small town racers who maybe think that they're a little more of a bigger deal than they are. And I kind of went off on this rant about sponsorship and I still hear from a lot of uh by company, brand managers, that sort of thing, who, you know, people who basically deal with sponsorship, and they still talk to me and say, you know, hey, we get all these requests all the time, and we still refer people to that article because like, they don't want to really answer the question. They just say, hey, read this, and then they figure out what they did wrong in the proposal. <laughs> I, but, I, know, uh, I know a couple of shops locally that have printed copies of your article. Oh, hey, how about that? <laughs> Excellent. So rather than go off on another rant, because the whole sponsorship thing still I find kind of perplexing, uh, I went ahead and called a friend of mine, Chris Holmes, who's the brand manager at Marin Bikes, uh, to kind of ask his opinion on the whole thing. Because, I mean, he and I are friends on social media. We've known each other for a little while now. And and every now and then he posts these pretty awesome nuggets that he receives from people for sponsorship requests. And, you know, some of them are like, hey, I just turned 13. Can I get a free bike? Um, (laughs) Obviously. No. I mean, we get those sometimes. And I'm like, what, what well, would t- I give you? Yes, you may access cyclingtips.com for free. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. I mean, it's a pretty what good deal, right? What do you want from right? me? It's a pretty good deal. It's knowledge for free. I mean, what, what's more valuable I, than that? I mean, really, yeah, it's a very good deal. Yeah. Well, anyway, I had a pretty interesting conversation with Chris. And at the end of it, he gave me a free bike, of course. Um, but uh, <laughs> let's let's listen to that conversation with Chris. Our guest for today's Nerd Alert podcast is Chris Holmes, the brand director for Marin Bicycles. Chris, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, James. Happy to be here. Uh, Chris, I want to talk with you today about the idea of sponsorship. Um, I think it's safe to say that most of the people listening right now are probably at least you know, kind of familiar with the idea of sponsorship. You know, I think a lot of people who are looking for sponsorship at an amateur level, I mean, I, it, my impression is that a lot of them still kind of follow this more traditional model as far as how they think sponsorship works. Um, I know, I mean, if only just because, you know, you and I are friends on social media, you, you know, we see each other fairly, fairly often at, you know, industry events and stuff like that. Um, I know you get some pretty, uh, I don't really know how to describe it, outlandish um, sponsorship proposals um, from from various people. Um, Can you give me some examples of how people clearly just don't quite understand how this is supposed to work? Well, um, 
just last week I was dealing with someone who obviously was doing the shotgun approach and um, just hitting every single email address that they could find on our website. And not only were they doing that and hitting like, you know, marin.asia at marinbikes.com and hitting our Asian sales office, um, but they were also looking for support in categories that Marin has never really been in and with bikes that we haven't offered for at least five years. This most recent one was for um, a, a Ram team. And I think Ram is a really interesting event. Um, I have friends who have done it. But um, yeah, we haven't had a traditional road bike in our line since 2015. And um, we don't have like a even a, a time trial bike or anything that they may even want to use in such an event. Um, you know, we get kids all the time just you know, hitting us up, um, on Instagram or on, well, mostly Instagram, just saying like, can you send me a free bike, please, please, please. It's like, no, 13 year old, just go out and have fun. I understand, you know, you're the best jumper in Seymour, Indiana, but, um, that's not really how things work. And then we have, again, back to the, um, you know, people not re realizing what categories we're in, you know, triathletes hitting up Marin up for sponsorship, um, Marin has zero history in try. We've never done a try specific bike and yet they still come to us from time to time. Uh, I mean, do you even bother to respond or do you kind of just, you know, let those requests kind of just go out into the ether and disappear? No, we respond to everything. Um, you know, I do it in a really nice way. Yeah. The, uh, the kind of cynical Gen Xer in me may want to say something a little bit um, more direct and pointed than what I really will because I am representing the brand and I still want people to have a good experience with the brand. So I just say, you know, thank you for your interest in Marin. But at this point, you know, we're not looking to expand our sponsorship into this category or something along those lines. At this point, it's kind of like a boilerplate that I just have in my head and I switch off and just start typing it and it comes out naturally. I mean, certainly you have to be getting proposals from people who, you know, you've never heard of that, you know, seem pretty interesting. I mean, what, what sort of things would really actually catch your eye and legitimately make you consider some level of support for somebody? Well, uh, I will say most of the athletes that we have sponsored have come to us through uh, our own internal channels, whether it be, you know, a guy in Marin UK knows of this rider who's awesome doing this great stuff or a distributor, etc. cetera. Um, but um, Evan Mercure, who's a a college kid out of uh, Arcata, California. He came to us just about over a year ago and um, hit me up and sent me his social media links and showed me like the style of writing he was doing. And I thought he could be a really good fit with the brand. So, I mean, he's an example of someone who, you know, contacted us out of the blue. I'd never heard of him before. And I liked his profile, liked what he was all about. I met him in person and, you know, we gave him a, an equipment deal. And our, our hope is that he'll grow. You know, he's still in college right now, but he'll continue to grow and evolve and you know, be someone who we can move up the ranks, and, you know, maybe start doing photo shoots and videos with, et cetera. Um, have you ever had a sponsorship deal go bad? Like, you know, had to cut someone from a deal for something or, you know, just had something completely go south? Um, almost. So we uh, sponsored a racer a number of years ago. Um, I'm not going to give too much detail because otherwise you might be able to figure out who it may be. But um, there were some 
personal issues, which kind of started bleeding into this racer's, um, you know, racing life. And it got kind of ugly. Um, and there are clauses in our contract where we can, you know, we can ask someone um, for certain things. And it almost came to that point where this writer, writer finally just decided that they weren't going to be racing anymore. So um, it kind of solved itself. But we were really close to cutting some off. I say, but overall, I mean, we, you know, we have a pretty good track record and you know, we haven't had anyone who we, we've just decided to like, we're not even going to resign you next year. Chris, I mean, I feel like in this day and age, I mean, there is sort of a general sense that um, a lot of people have more of a sense of entitlement than ever before. I mean, like I said, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while and you've had a lot of these things come across your desk. I mean, do you feel like there is more of a sense of entitlement coming across these days? Yeah, I definitely think so, especially because of, you know, just the internet in general. Uh, nowadays, it seems like anyone who is going to embark on a, a big adventure, whether it be like, you know, riding, or, riding across the country or riding from A to B, and, um, you know, they're asking us for like a touring bike or something, they feel like, you know, they should be getting a free, you know, multi-thousand dollar bike because they're going to write about it for their own website and they're going to push, you know, photos on their Instagram, etc. Um, you know, just because you're going and doing a big adventure doesn't mean you're entitled to sponsorship. You know what? Just go out and have fun. People have been doing this for decades, you know, taking their bike and you know, riding all the way down to South America or something. Got it. But I mean, it sounds like for the most part, by and large, I mean, if you're careful with, if, if you're careful on the front end, as far as who you decide to support, then it sounds like things mostly have gone pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, one thing that we really like too is athletes who have longevity with a brand um, hit up by athletes who have jumped from brand to brand to brand every year, either chasing a new deal or for whatever reason, their deal with their other brand didn't work out. You know, our, we're a relatively small company. Um, we don't have huge budgets. We like to find athletes, uh, nurture them, grow with them. And, you know, hopefully they will stick with us as we stick with them. We have a couple athletes who, you know, turned down much bigger deals from bigger brands um, because they like working with us. They like the fact that we're a small crew. They like the fact that they're on a first name basis with people like our um, our CEO who will host riders at his own house when they come over. And, you know, Matt, our boss, will go and, you know, make really nice food and he has a really nice house for him to stay at. And, um, you know, it's really much a, a family type feel that we give. Cool. That's awesome. Um, kind of want to come back to the uh, the amateur proposal thing. Um, you know, given that you've seen so much variation in um, you know sort of the, the the quality and tone of proposals that you've received, what would you suggest to people who maybe are legitimately worthy of some sort of package of some sort? And, you know, they're often coming in some sense. You know, they have some kind of following. They're kind of in it for the right reasons and whatnot. Um, what sort of suggestions would you have for someone looking for a sponsorship that would, you know, help them possibly get get ahead in a sponsorship deal with somebody? Well, first of all, um, you know, show us what you can do for us. You know, it's it's not just a one-way street where we just give a bike and turn you loose, but tell us what you can do, whether it bring exposure to a category that maybe you think that we're not exploiting enough, or, um, you know, it's maybe that you're 
you have a really good pull in with this certain network, whether it be a club or, you know, just a good riding group in a populated area, et cetera. And like, show us your social media stuff as well. Again, you know, I don't like to harp on that too much, but it is really important for um, any brand at this point, you know, to have someone who, you know, can adequately, adequately represent a brand, um, and also has a decent amount of um, followers too. Um, yeah, we. On that note, though, I have seen a few um, proposals come through where I've run some tests and seen that, like, oh wow, this person, while they have X tens of thousands of followers, it turns out that it looks like they bought a lot of them too. So, don't try to cheat your way in with that. <laughs> Um, uh, well, I guess I have heard of people buying followers and that sort of thing. I mean, I, well, I mean, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I guess if you're the person who buys followers on any kind of social media, that I guess says a lot about your personality, but, um, yeah. so I guess to recap, um, you know, uh, it sounds like if for someone sending in some sort of proposal or looking for some kind of sponsorship, they should, I guess, do their research and see if the company that they're applying to uh, is even a good fit. Um, it sounds like they should think of the whole arrangement as a job, basically, because that's essentially what it is. Um, and, you know, look at it as more of a, a two-way street as opposed to a, you know, hey, I'm awesome, give me some free stuff sort of setup. Um, yep. And then I guess, you know, really basically keep your ego in check is at least what you're telling me from from Marin's perspective. I mean, would that seem like a pretty decent summary? Yeah, and then also to um, understand that, you know, all companies are on budgets and, you know, we're we're not always open to looking at new suggestions. You know, our, we finalize our marketing plans and budgets in October. So if someone comes to me this time of year, well, that sounds like a great idea, but you know, I honestly, I can't add you right now. I've pretty much, you know, allocated to all my marketing budgets and sponsored riders. You know, I did that months ago, so I can't go and add more people to the roster right now. Gotcha. All right. Well, good to know. Uh, Chris, one last question before I let you go. Yeah. I'm kind of a big deal on Twitter. Can I get a free bike? <laughs> James, you? Maybe. Oh, come on. Maybe. All right. Well, all right I'll, I'll ask you, I'll I'll ask you in the, October. The industry purchase price. How about that? Deal. That, that sounds like a good deal. And, and like, I'll, do I have to like tattoo Marin on my arm or something or forehead? Like, is that, is that how that works? <laughs> you know, when I was at Electra, I didn't require you to do that with the uh, nice Ticino we hooked you up with. You, you did. You did. And I, and I still have it. I still have it. I'm still riding the crap out of it. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Cool. Chris, thanks a bunch for your time. All right. Thanks, James. See ya. Well, here's my, my thoughts. There is no intrinsic value to riding a bicycle around in circles or in a straight line or fast or slow or any of these things. And so I think that the marketing and, and sponsorship world is finally sort of coming to terms with that. Uh, and maybe athletes are more than anything. You would hope because, yeah. I mean, when when it really comes down to it, the whole point of sponsorship is to help that company who is supplying you with product or money or whatever sell more stuff. Yep. And it turns out that just 
wearing that brand name on your back or riding that bike around or using that product and not really doing anything else really doesn't sell any more product. Not really. I have heard the struggle from athletes though, like particularly a really high level mountain bike world cup racer. It's like, do you want me for social media or do you actually want me to win these races <laughs> and get results? Like I can't do both. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a careful balance, right? And some athletes certainly tilt one way or the other. I think that perfect example is all the, all the world tour races getting into gravel right now, right? You know, they're probably going to train a bit less than they were certainly sort of live a, a different lifestyle. Ian Boswell posted a photo of the weekend of him sleeping on the floor here for old man winter rally. Like that's not really, yeah. Hotels at the tour de France are terrible, they're not that bad. <laughs> You're yeah, not sleeping you on the floor. <laughs> you at least get a bed. But, you know, you see, they've kind of, those athletes have tilted toward, well, just let me be sort of a marketing vehicle for you. Let me help you activate at various races. Let me help you create content that people are going to actually want to watch and things like that. I think it's it's a good move on the athlete's part. And it is a nice change from just sort of, you know, the emails that you're talking about of just sort of, hey, I won the you know, state crit championship. Can I have some wheels? They're like, no, no. Yeah, that's what you do, right? You graduate to cat three and then all of a sudden should get full sponsorship. I agree. Well, <laughs> l- looking back, I think actually what, what may have inspired that column I wrote way back, way back when was I remember when, um, when my parents sold the house that I grew up in, like I kind of had to go through some of the, some of the stuff that I had there. And for some reason I, I came across an old, an old letter that you know because i went to school at university of michigan and i was on the cycling team there and somehow either for a couple one or two years or something i was somehow the guy responsible for like you know trying to solicit sponsorship and i remember looking at the letters that i wrote and thinking like wow i was an idiot like i had (laughs) no idea what i was doing but did you get free stuff uh we did get a little bit of free stuff or like discounted stuff but i mean this was in the early 90s i mean this is a totally different yeah. world as far as sponsorship there wasn't goes. The content and influencing yeah to- totally instagram didn't even exist yet it did not it was it was it was the dark ages <laughs> it was the dark ages. truly dark time yep i barely had an inter- barely had an email address early 90s yeah i had an aol in like 96 or something yeah what's your starfighter age again negative wait when was starfighter come out 80 84 wait no what did we say I think it was 84 and i was negative four so I was born in 88. So. Born in 89. Oh, so young. Oh, man. Whippersnapper over here. Yep. Yep. My star <laughs> so much younger than and you. And my starfighter age is 10. Positive 10, to Positive clarify. Positive 10. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on from sponsorship. But anyway, I guess moral of the story, just because you were kind of fast on a bike doesn't necessarily mean that you are entitled to a bunch of free stuff. Weird. So lesson learned. Keep that in mind if you are thinking about sending a sponsorship proposal to someone. I just, I just, I disagree. I have some free stuff for you then, Caleb. I think all Category 1 road racers should receive a free bicycle at the beginning of the year from USA Cycling. And, and one in the middle. Because <laughs> like, yeah, uh, you're going to break it, another yeah. one. Oh, oh good, good point, good point. Good I don't point. think you want a USA Cycling bike. All the owner bikes are like 15-year-old belts. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Rough clearance for 23s. <laughs> Oof. Should we ask a mechanic? I think it's time for asking a mechanic. I think we, we feel like we need a, like a sound effect for asking a mechanic. Um, what could you do? We a, could like hit something with a, a hammer over a here. Bell? What? Oh, ooh, front derailleur sound. Ooh. No, no, no. Fr- even... Well, I can't shift front derailleur because it's synchro. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, put it by the derailleur. Oh, there you go. 
Hold on, let's get that a few more times. That might have to be our that might have to be our sound effect. Beautiful. <laughs> we can put it on repeat. Ask a mechanic. Okay, so wait, wait, we before we get into this, if there's anybody out there who is a musician slash producer type person who can take that noise and make it into a jingle for us, please reach out. Because I think that we would won't be amazing. Win any free things, but <laughs> <laughs> we will send you a free podcast every week, hmm, every that, other week. That's a that's a very <laughs> very compelling deal. Hmm. James, what are our questions? All right, we have some pretty good ones this week. Yeah, and I think we should all jump in this time, and not not just not leave the week. leave the answering to, to poor Zach here. Mm. Uh, first one, it comes from Sven Bauman who is looking for suggestions for alternatives to the traditional chain whip. So he already has the Pedro's cog wrench, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's sort of like this uh, flat wrench with like three little nubs on it that kind of grab the wrench or grab the, uh, grab the cassette sprocket. So he already has a Pedro's cog wrench, but he isn't really super happy with it. What do we got for him? May I ask what's wrong with the chain whip? Well, that's kind of my first question too, because <laughs> chain whips turn out works chain whips work quite well actually yeah i mean otherwise there's the pedro's the vice grip the vice whip but no the like yeah it's called the vice whip sort of the actual tool yep which i don't really like that personally really oh, i really like that one. that was gonna be my, rec- my recommendation no. i mean i use chain whip but when i've used that one i don't like it because yeah it, it just seems slower and less efficient yeah. is that the one that leonard zinn designed yeah, I mean the the other one, the feedback they make, yep. like this massive plier set that has some chains on it. But yeah, I still don't like understand why. It's like an interlocking plier as opposed to like a, a vice grip plier. So it's yeah, which I would think. Adjust. Yeah, over that over the vice grips. Yeah, because you don't like it can work on any size cog. Yeah, the one thing I would like to see with a traditional chain whip is someone who has embedded magnets into the chain that's on the chain. Shimano. Whip. Really? They've done that already? Yeah. And yeah, there's a few brands doing one. it, but do I have how one? Of, how many of them do you have, Dave? I probably do have one. I haven't used it for a long time, but... Uh, how many different ways does Dave Rome have to take a cassette off? I'm like, <laughs> I've... I'm... Hopefully, no one in my family is listening, but I've probably got at least 10. <laughs> yeah. I think one, one of these days, we are need to, we are going to need to get... A videographer into Dave Rome's home workshop oh, man. and do a tour of his toolbox. I mean, I only have two chain whips. And you do this for a living. Yeah. <laughs> I just have the Abbey, one, the Abbey one for geared bikes, and I have this massive, huge old park one for track bikes. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. So it sounds like we are settling on just a traditional chain whip then, huh? Just yeah. get a chain whip. Yeah. Or was it Sven? He can reply and say why he wants not a chain whip. We need we follow up question. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Why okay. not a chain whip? Sven, if you are listening, let us know why you do not want to use a, tradi- a traditional chain whip, and then we'll figure it out. What's the best chain whip if you're going to get a chain whip? And I have the Abbey one, which works really well. And the if you travel, the cr- yeah. the Crombie fits inside of it. I like how the mm. Abbey one just has an, a round handle, like it's, yeah, just it's more comfortable. Yeah. yeah, you're not like digging into your palm. Mm. The Abbey's nice, but that said, the chain whip's like one of those few tools that like anything works, right? It's like, yeah. as long as the chain width on it is correct, then you're going to be fine. Um, I mean, some use like weaker joining links to join the the chain links onto the tool. But I mean, really, a chain whip's kind of a chain whip. Um, so I have yeah. broken a couple. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they hurt when you break. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I will make one last case for my Pedro's vice whip, and then we'll move on. Um, because I work on so many different bikes, mountain bike, road bike, whatever, uh, it is nice that that vice whip works on the new SRAM Axis stuff. And it you know works with 10-speed, 11-speed, 12-speed, SRAM, but Shimano, so does whatever. any other chain whip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't work as well. I mean, it doesn't quite grab as well because the, the pitch, the, the, uh, the roller diameter is different. This is, yeah, goes back to coming out with proprietary parts, but not tools that work for it. <laughs> so right. my, my go-to just on the, on the topic, my go-to is actually a park tool plier, um, which is this big monstrosity with pretty awful ergonomics, but I find it very quick to use. Um, and it's kind of like similar to the feedback and the Pedro's, but uh, just simpler. Hmm. So, okay. There you go. That is method number three of 10 that Dave Rowan has. To <laughs> Moving on. Uh, this comes from Alonso Licks, who is asking how he can ensure smooth and precise shifting on a bike that's used both outdoors and on an indoor trainer. So, like, basically different spacing of the cassette, like where it sits in. That That's how I took it. So, I mean, he's using the same model or at least the same brand of cassette, I think, on both his indoor setup and outdoor setup. Um, but it sounds to me like he just needs to shim his cassette. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as having two different sets of wheels that are from different manufacturer. Like... You just have to put some thin spacers behind one of the cassettes. And What's then, the easiest way for him to figure out which wheel or which which one of the cassettes he has to shim? You'd have to figure out which one is more inboard and then space that one out to match the other one. So. And then that's basically it. Yeah. Where do you buy cassettes of spacers? Uh, the internet? The internet or bike, like every bike shop should have them, I would hope. Every good bike shop. You yeah. Because don't they, they come with cassettes most of the time? No. They come with 10-speed cassettes. Yeah. Uh, but you can right. get, so the 10-speed ones, that was only a millimeter thick. You can get half mil ones as well if you need less less spacing. Which is probably, I mean, a half mil, I would I would hope, is not, you're not too much further off than that. Right? No. They, they, so they are out there and pretty easy to get. So Alonso, go find a local bike shop, find some little cassette shims, yeah. and then do a little play around at home, and that should do it for you. Next question from Chris Stocks. Do you really need a few millimeters of steer tube sticking out above the stem? He really prefers the flush look, but he's concerned about safety. I mean, I would say as long as the top of the steer tube is above the top bolt, then you should be good. But you're running a lot of like compression plugs and then the top cap. You need a good five mil or so of space so that it doesn't bottom out, which sometimes pushes the steer tube too far down. It might also depend on, on brand recommendations too, because I know... I know Trek put out a service bulletin quite a while ago um, sta stating very emphatically that the steer tube does absolutely have to stick up. Well, that was when they had their steer tube failures and you had to use Bontrager stem too. But I, but I think they still <laughs> recommend that though. Yeah, I mean, probably. It's one of those things that they're going to take the safest possible option. Yeah, right? I mean, having a two and a half or five mil spacer on top isn't the worst thing in the world to look at. Like if you have like a couple centimeters on top, then... It doesn't look super great, but right, like the bike behind you. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what we got. So three, so just three to, centimeters. <laughs> just to rewind a bit, like to explain why that's a requirement um, is basically to ensure that the the top of the stem doesn't uh, crush the top of the the steer tube, and that the stem is fully supported by uh, the entirety of the steer tube. Um, would you add anything to that, or? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, like like you said, basically, just the idea is that. 
because the very, very top of the steer tube isn't as well supported structurally as the rest of the steer tube, when you tighten up the stem bolts, you do stand more of a chance of crushing the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like crushing the end of like an empty paper towel roll or something like that. But um, I mean, it does seem like it varies a little bit from brand to brand, but I think I'm with Zach on this one. I mean, and as long as, I mean, I, I prefer personally to have a little bit of steer tube sticking out, if only just for convenience. Yeah. Um, but if from from my understanding, unless the brand of your particular bike very specifically says otherwise, then you should be okay running it with, what is it, like a two or three millimeters below the top. Yeah. Cutting the steer a couple a couple of millimeters below the top of the stem, just enough so that the headset cap does not bottom out on the steer tube. Uh, worth noting that this is not official advice, and if you do this <laughs> and you die, it's your fault, not ours. Mm. Yeah, this is one of those few components on the bike where I'd always just take what the uh, manufacturer says to yep. heart and do that. You know, if they say not to run more than thirty millimeters of space underneath your stem probably don't run more than 30 millimeters of spaces underneath your stem if so, for no other reason then if it does fail then you can point at them and be like i did what you said to do and it failed which is a good thing for you current line yeah <laughs> next question frank overton at fast cat coaching he's local here in boulder he is uh frank would like to know which air compressor is best for tubeless tire setup for home for his home garage consider uh, home garage setup Ooh. Ooh. i mean i would depends on your garage i would say like well if you don't want an air compressor you can use the like tubeless floor pump things um but if you want an air compressor and not wake your entire neighborhood up there's uh california air tools i believe yep they make really quiet air compressors yeah the same the same things in australia are called uh chicago yeah there you go Uh, odd so it's uh, (laughs) aluminium aluminium tank silenced air compressor is what you would uh put into the search engine to find the thing i mean that's what i have here and you can have it running and have a conversation while it's going interesting because the point is you need to move a lot of air right you need to move more air it's not about like the size of the chamber or anything it's just about how much air you get in in a very short amount of time because you're trying to seat tubeless tires that's the whole point i would almost argue that if he wants a compressor specifically for the purpose of seating tubeless tires that i would i would almost recommend one of those portable air cans instead of a compressor because i personally feel like they deliver more air quicker than a compressor hmm. i mean they're not quite as convenient because you know you do have to charge them with every with every tire you could have an air compressor to pump that up to charge it <laughs> uh, yeah sure um, <laughs> yeah but i mean like you know that milk it air air can that i've used before i think what, what's it called the milk it booster or something but um you know they make one i think uh Schwabby makes one. Schwabby makes one. I mean, there are a whole bunch of companies that make make these basically just little air can things that you charge up by hand with a either with a floor pump or a compressor, and then you you put it on the tubeless valve stem and it just delivers this massive shot of air super quickly, and that is when you have the best chance of getting a tire seated. Yeah, um, yeah. So they carry more pressure than an air compressor, um, which is yeah. why they ex- yeah. That's why you have better luck. But an air compressor does have other duties as well beyond tubeless, which is why, sure. you know, if you're setting up a, a dedicated home workshop, then an air compressor is still nice to have, even if uh, even if you also want to get one of those uh, tubeless canisters. Dave, how many air compressors get it all. do you have? Get it all. What's that? How many air compressors do you have at home? Uh, that's one of those things I only have one, but I, I am on my <laughs> third one at this point in time. I don't oh. believe you. Hmm, how about that? Okay. Dave yeah. has seven. Uh, oh, this question is most definitely for Zach. Uh, another one from Boulder. Sweet. <laughs> name is Archer Sully. 
who would like to know, what are some of the differences between working as a race mechanic versus a shop mechanic? I mean, there's a lot of differences there. And having done both, I mean, I guess, like, where do you want to start? That's a good question. He left it pretty open-ended. I mean, as a race mechanic in and of itself can vary a lot, too, I would say. Like, whether you're going to, say, like, a cyclocross race with one rider or working for a team that is very well supported with 10 riders or something. Um, what about, like, so, so, the, so the comparison between what you do and working for, like, a big road team? For example, I mean, definitely like the race side of things is a lot more logistics and travel, obviously, and then really just a lot of washing bikes. And when something's broken, you replace it. Not really the like problem solving type of things that you have to do in a bike shop. Yeah, there's much more variety, right, Zach? To a bike yeah. shop, to a shop. Yeah, so like you're a... say a a pro team that has SRAM Red. That's all you work on, and maybe that's all you really know how to work on. Cause that's all you have to do. But at a shop you kind of see, like it depends on the shop, but see everything from like cheap townie bikes to $20,000 super bikes. Wasn't it, was it Zane in, uh, in Adelaide that was saying that shop mechanics are better mechanics. He was admitting this I mean, as, yeah. a, as a pro yeah. race. Mechanic, I don't want to call that. people out, but having previously worked at shops that hired race mechanics, the race mechanics were usually not very good. <laughs> like both both from working on bikes point of view and then like actually talking to customers and having social skills with customers. <laughs> That's really a secondary concern in the yeah. bike shop world, I think. Yeah. Customer service overrated. Hmm. <laughs> last question for today from Pete in Columbus, Ohio. Mountain bike question. Sweet. Asking about the B limit adjustment on SRAM Eagle mountain bike rear derailleurs. He says he says he has it adjusted to spec, but he still gets a grinding sound in the lowest in the lowest one or two gears. How grinding does he fix that? sound. This almost sounds to me like a chain length issue. Yeah, it could be chain length, or if it's a full suspension bike, like you could maybe not be adjusting it with the suspension compressed and to see where that sits. Um, because some full suspension bikes have a lot more effective chainstay growth. Yeah, as you move through the travel. I would also say that that stuff is very finicky in terms of having the hanger have to be straight. So I would check hanger alignment first and then readjust things. On top of all that, I'd say don't rule out the idea that the B-gap tool that SRAM provide isn't the end-all and that you may need more. I would say it depends on what Eagle stuff it is, but if it's the black-coated chain as well, those seem to be kind of grindy until the coating wears off of it. Or, Dave, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned that there are alternatives to that little translucent red plastic uh, chain-gap tool <laughs> that SRAM makes. There are a variety of higher end ones, which I know you have several of. <laughs> I have one of. There is uh, Seamus O'Toole on Instagram has uh, has made a, a bunch of machined ones which work on all SRAM drivetrains. One tool for all of them. So there you go. Uh, tool plug of the day. <laughs> so it sounds like he just needs to turn the B-screw in a bit. Potentially. Or out. It depends. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> There could be a lot of things going on. Well, <laughs> if all else fails, Pete, maybe it's time to get a new bike. Yeah, as start, it turns start out, from scratch. <laughs> as, as it turns out, we can help you with that as well because it's time for Bike Selector. What a segue. How about man. that? Huh? Look at that. Look, It's like I'm a podcast host or something. Oh, man, <laughs> A-plus segue, James. Really uh, impressed. So we actually get quite a few submissions for Bike Selector. You know, More than I really expected that we would, as a matter of fact. A lot. And uh, I would say... 
probably what nine out of ten of them now are for gravel bikes you think at least um yeah so i kind of figured we would throw maybe take a little bit of a left turn on this one so this one comes from uh he said he does not want us to use his last name but this comes from Jono. he is looking for an all road bike hmm Budget of four to five thousand Australian, which is like thirty five hundred US, something like that. He's looking for an aluminum all road bike that fits thirty two mil tires and has rim brakes. Ooh. Yeah. Are there any? Are there any other um, save the rim ride brake. quality things that he's got in there? Well, he did say he wants to be riding uh, poorly paved roads and dirt roads. Uh, he doesn't need to go too far into the gravel realm because he does have a dedicated gravel bike. Uh, he lives in Melbourne, if that gives you any idea of the road quality there. Um, and He wants he to did, sing fairly fast, right? He did say he wants, like, three words that he said, you know, would describe this bike were stiff, lightweight, and timeless. Hmm. Hmm. Timeless. Yeah. So he did, he did say, he did, I should toss in a little caveat here. He has a slight preference for rim brakes because he finds them to require less maintenance. Mm. But he definitely wants a metal bike. Right. Sounds okay. like the riding we do around here with rim brakes. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it does. It sounds like a lot like the riding that we tend to do on road bikes, which is sort of, you know, mostly on pavement, bit of dirt, try to climb on the dirt, not descend on the dirt. And we run it with 28s most of the time, maybe 30s. I mean, my, my first reaction is if you really want a versatile all road bike, you, you need to go back to the last episode and get a disc bike. And you'll fit a, a 32 in there, no problem. And you know, then you'll have the versatility that you're looking for. I know that there are some options that will fit that size tire in an aluminum bike, or at least close to. I it, would right? say like 32 is definitely pushing it. I would lots, not lots, a few bikes that fit a 30. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely lean towards something with direct mount brakes, which really limits it. So. I kind of built this bike for myself, my travel bike. It's not aluminum, it's tie, but that's sort of irrelevant, right? The and I I ended up building it with direct mount Cane Creek brakes. Um, only on the front. What? Only on the front. Yeah, sorry, direct mount on the front because I ended up sourcing a specialized tarmac fork because the envy that comes with most custom frames, sort of the most popular custom rim brake fork, only fits a twenty eight realistically. Uh, and so I sort of searched around for something that would take a, a bigger tire and that, that tarmac fork takes a bigger tire. There's a couple other brands in, in the same sort of realm. Uh, was it the Amanda, right? The Amanda rim brake so will take like, there's the Amanda rim brake that has direct mount. There's mm-hmm. the CAD 13, which has direct mount, but both of those, I mean, officially, <clears throat> well, Trek, Trek's numbers are pretty, pretty conservative typically. Trek says that the rim brake Amanda will only officially take a 28 mil tire. Yeah. But I mean, I'd say it's like, how comfortable are you with potentially taking some paint off? <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, it's a question of how comfortable you are pushing that, but also a question of, uh, I would say, you know, the conditions that you're going to find yourself in, because if you're most, if you're pretty much exclusively going to be riding this bike on, you know, in dry conditions and you're not going to be seeing a lot of mud particularly, um, you can probably push that a fair bit. Um, I mean, I, I consulted the interwebs, and people seemed pretty comfortable recommending 30 mil tires on the Amanda. Uh, and then 32 was a kind of a maybe. Same with the CAD 13. Um, but I was kind of thinking, I mean, well, actually, I consulted the interwebs. I, I cheated a little bit. I, I posed the question to Twitter um, just to see what people would come back with. And, and uh, they're really, I mean, not surprisingly, there really wasn't a whole lot out there. I mean, 
rim brakes obviously have kind of lost favor in recent years, and then aluminum is just sort of not necessarily the, the frame material of choice anymore. Um, so there's not a whole lot of choices out there as far as new bikes go. But I was actually kind of thinking, I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of this bike. Um, I mean, if he's not doing a whole lot of, you know, big descents and that sort of thing and doesn't really need a ton of super awesome stopping power all the time. I mean, if with the right wheel and brake setup and pads, I mean, rim brakes do actually work, work really well and they are really easy to work on. But I was actually kind of thinking that he might want to go with a custom aluminum bike. So vinyl was on my list. Vinyl Those are so, I feel like all the custom aluminum bikes, the prices are kind of ridiculous compared to an Ale or an Amanda or something. Yeah, for sure. The value equation is not there. So, but but what I keep coming back to is this idea that he wants, you know, he said timeless, which to me means that it's a bike that he is going to have for a pretty long time, that maybe he wants to be a little bit unique. Um, and I was kind of looking at low bicycles out of San Francisco mm. because they do do custom. Yeah. Um, All said he made a steel bike that had long reach calipers that I think could fit 32s or so. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, as far as custom bikes go, I mean... Uh, you know, carbon is really expensive. Um, steel are, you know, you can get, you can find a steel builder pretty easily. Um, aluminum obviously is quite a bit lighter. Uh, and then if you're running a pretty big tire like that, you don't really have to worry as much about the ride comfort. And, uh, you know, I've always been pretty impressed with what I've seen anyway. I haven't ridden a low, um, but I've always been pretty impressed with what I've seen from them. And, um, or I should say him, it's just Andrew Lowe, it's just one guy. Um, but the bikes look pretty awesome, and they are not, there are not a whole lot of them out there. And at least compared to a custom carbon bike, I mean, they're, they're certainly a lot more attainable. I mean, you would have to push, I mean, Jono, you'd have to push your budget a little bit um, to get something decent as far as a complete bike if you were looking at uh, a custom aluminum bike from someone like the likes of Lowe. But, man, that could be a really, really cool bike. could be a super cool bike. So the reason I said vinyl is, yes, it's not custom, and so you would be limited to, well, they say a 28 tire. 28. Uh, and it's with an NV fork, so you you are actually limited to 28. It's not 28 like Trek 28. It's an actual 28. But it's also a pretty unique little brand. and Not expensive. Not expensive at all. So it would save you a bunch of money compared to a low. Again, you lose the the big tire size, but I mean, to be perfectly honest, if you're really if you're going to be on pavement most of the time, a good twenty eight, you know, sort of maxing out that NV fork, I think is a pretty it's solid pretty option. Yeah. If you if the timeless thing is less important, then I start leaning towards like a CAD thirteen with direct mounts, and yeah. then you can run a thirty thirty one, a little bit more space. It's sort of whether that timeless whether that timeless piece of this is is particularly important. I would say between the CAD thirteen and the Amanda. I would lean towards the Amanda. Yeah. Like the CAD 13, I think when I was looking, their claimed weights is heavier. It doesn't use a round seat post and it uses BB30A. Oh. Which BB30A, like why? <laughs> <laughs> We're shaking our heads over here. <laughs> All right. So Amanda, I th I, in my head, the Amanda and the CAD 13 are kind of roughly the same. Yeah. And so equivalent. If, or if the Amanda is sort of more user friendly, then maybe go yeah. that way. The Allays are good too, but they don't do direct mounts. So you're not going to have quite as much clearance. Right. Yeah. And then there were a couple of other options that I had on my list. I mean, Bond Bicycles, they, they were doing custom aluminum bikes out of Australia, but um, their website is gone. So I think the company might be gone. Does Spooky still exist? They, they, were, they were custom aluminum. Spooky still exists, but they don't do custom, at least not under the Spooky brand. Huh. Uh, Frank the Welder, he, uh, he supposedly does still Makes do custom, custom aluminum bikes. I, I know for a fact that he still does custom one-offs, but I think you kind of have to be in the know to get one gotcha. from Frank. Um, He's mostly mountain bikes these days, isn't he? 
Oh, he does e-bikes and whatever. Really? He does, all oh, of it. He, 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 he can it. weld it. Get it. Get it. <laughs> get on the program. Frank field. can weld it. <laughs> uh, and then there also was uh, someone recommended the uh, uh, what was it? The it was something from Condor. Yeah, uh, the Condor Italia. That one, I don't know. It 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 seemed like a pretty decent bike, but it didn't really strike me as sort of having that timeless quality that John was looking for. Oh, I, I was just gonna throw uh, uh, completely alternative uh, opinions into the mix, which is he did say metal. So he started with saying um, aluminum bikes, and then he sort of said, you know, anything metal. So to me, that kind of read like maybe steel isn't out of the equation, and then. You know, steel might not have the stiffness and the weight that he wants, but it definitely has. Uh, there are options out there that have the tire clearance, and better yet, they fit his budget. So, um, yeah, so something like a Soma ES, which not light, not stiff, but space for 32s with a long reach caliper. Um, that's something else to, to consider. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the bikes that did tick the boxes for what he's looking for were discontinued in about mid 2000s yep they're hard hard to find these days unless you want to buy used uh, in which yeah. case you know things are get a little bit more interesting like i don't know if you would find one of these in australia but you could find like a seven red sky that's a, a you know a custom titanium bike that was specifically built around uh mid-reach caliber brakes uh that would be kind of a fun bike um but you'd, you'd really have to hunt around and see what you could find nearby so that'd be tricky yeah part of my problem with the direct mount brake as a solution, I, I like the, the sort of mid-reach, long-reach. I've never used one that I liked very much. Velo Orange is the only one that I've used that is that I thought was good. Yeah, they're usually pretty garbage. Like it's, <laughs> they're super flexy, and they're usually like Shimano made one a while ago that everyone uses mm-hmm. it for Roubaix, but I don't know if they still even make that. I don't right. know if they do, and TRP makes one, but it is definitely pretty cheap. Yeah, the Velo Orange one's pretty nice, but it's quite expensive. Yeah. I mean, uh, I really, I, I come back to if this is truly what you want, if you want a versatile bike, then I think that discs need to be sort of added back into the the equation. Is or just, just run 28s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, either either accept, simplify things. Yeah. yeah either, either accept that you're going to be able to run 28, maybe 30, or get disc brakes. I'm kind of intrigued with, with, with this idea of a, a custom aluminum all-road bike with rim brakes now. Like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of seeing like a... Is there someone that makes a carbon fork that has long enough legs for a long reach caliper oh uh, whiskey i think makes one oh. yep. um if any company does i think it would be them yeah, yeah oh were, i think they, they made that one for the all city thing like the like mr pink or whatever it was called yeah the all city i think that was discontinued though because yeah. that was also recommended by some people and but that mm. one's also steel yeah yeah so so what's what's everyone's picks here custom aluminum bike for me the low or something similar something okay. maybe maybe local because i would imagine shipping a low from australia to melbourne would be a little pricey yeah. probably i would go with the amanda and they have the cool, cool paint. It's like a purpley. Good that paint. Is, that is a really yeah. cool paint job. Rome, what's your pick? Uh, just given the budget, either Cat 13 or the Amonda, or if weight and stiffness doesn't matter, then that Soma ES. Hmm. I'm going with the vinyl road bike. And uh, price is just about right. And yes, it will not take quite as big a tire, but based off the type of riding, I think a 28 is fine. So I think that if you want more than that, get disc brakes. If you don't want more than that, the vinyls is... I feel like the vinyl, just because their name, they should come with a free record. (laughs) That's a great idea. What a marketing opportunity they have there. Uh, I think mine did, actually. When I got got, uh, one of those for a test bike, I'm pretty sure it did come with a record. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. I might change my opinion then. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Get a vinyl. (laughs) Two votes for vinyl. Two votes for vinyl. (laughs) All right, Jono. Well, 
let us know what you thought of our recommendations here and let us know what you ended up with if you do end up buying a bike because we are always curious to see what people end up with well guys should we wrap it up today i think it's time to wrap it up plus i gotta go get my kid pretty soon yep and i have to go skiing again mad pow disease <laughs> mad pow disease yep mm-hmm. it's going around the only cure yeah more pow more pow <laughs> Well, if you liked what you heard today, please give us a like or uh, subscribe, ideally, on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. Spotify. I can't remember how many. Yeah, Spotify. Uh, we're basically everywhere. Spotify now curates podcasts for you. Oh, really? Yeah, so you just like start listening to some and it like throws up other ones. Like it, For me, the other day, you know, obviously, I'm subscribed to all of our own podcasts, and then it popped up like the Bradley Wiggins podcast and a couple others. And yeah, it's, you know, figures out what you like and gives you other options. It's pretty cool. How much do we have to pay Spotify to, to just put us at the top of everyone's playlist? Probably a lot. Mm. I don't Let's think we're going to do that. We don't have that kind of budget, do yeah, we? Yeah, no. <laughs> All right. Well, then we are just going to have to do the, I guess, personal plea here. Yep. Give us, give us a subscribe. And while you're at it, check out our other podcast, the regular Cycling Tips podcast, Freewheeling. Yep. And News Cycle. News Cycle. Yep. In the meantime, We'll be back here in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Well, wait, wait. Wait, wait, what? Next oh, time, wait. next time, we're all going to be in the same place. We're going to be from Sudan. Well, yes, we all we are actually all going to be physically together in Sedona because this is we, have, news. we have yeah. a big gravel bike test uh, test session coming up. Yeah, we, we don't want to say any more than that, but we're going to be in Sedona testing a bunch of bikes next week, all four of us, plus other people, plus Abby from Freewheeling. And yeah, we're going to be recording the episode from there. And it was absolutely not a lot of work at all to get all this together. No, it was very little for me, actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was very little Just for you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Tur- turns out it wasn't so little for me. I delegated the crap out of that uh, you, didn't even, you didn't even so much delegate as so much as i just went ahead and jumped on that grenade <laughs> thank you for jumping on the grenade james mm-hmm. i appreciate yep, I that went ahead and did that. No, i'm here for you all right let's get out of here all right we'll be back from sedona next week see yeah. ya bye. bye everybody bye